Hello, this is Sean Pynchon, and you're listening to Talking Blues. I heard through the grapevine that you were recently in Montreal for the Folk Alliance. Yeah. How was that? How was that experience for you? Somebody thought I was Matt Mays for 28 minutes. (laughs) So I've lived the high life, my friend. (laughs) When I finally saw him, we don't really look the same at all, but I I guess you were going to put fuzzy-faced, long-haired white kids together who wear hats. Yeah, I guess we sort of had a resemblance, but... Why did you go there? What was your... I was actually tag-teaming with a few friends of mine backing up an artist named uh, Dion Taylor. So oh, okay. it was it was primarily for her recent project um, Born Free which is, isn't really super recent it's a couple of years now we've been we've been playing that through the festival circuit but she's got a new release coming out very soon with Joel Schwartz from uh, Birds of Chicago so that's going to be crazy good. So we're just sort of keeping ourselves in that sort of mix so I was part of a five piece with her. So were you are you on the new album? Uh, I'm not the one with Joel. I'm on Born Free, and then I think there's talk of even doing another one with the band. We're more of the live band right now, right? Okay. but we did start as the studio band. Um, but there's a huge difference in making a record and touring with a band. I, I don't even know if I've ever played a show with the drummer that I've recorded with. Fun fact, I played with Dion with the drummer that I've recorded with, <laughs> but I've never actually played with him on my own songs. So, like, you know what I mean? Like, we just yeah. hire out a lot of stuff. But I, I have, like, the best players in Toronto. I have Jordan O'Connor. He's an upright bass player for a lot of classical uh, or and jazz acts in, in Toronto. But he's latest release, I think, with Don Ross is uh, Louder Than Usual. The new, oh, yeah. That's the new band. He's from. the stick bass player guy. That, he, he's, like, the... He's, he kills us all on stage. Like, he, <laughs> like, when he takes the lead on this one tune, it, like, thunderously outshines the rest of us mere skinny stringers. So... We have a banjo player named Nickel Robinson, who's probably like the hardest working musician I've ever met. I don't even know. I, he must clear 300 gigs a year at least. And uh, he plays multiple bluegrass instruments to like the T. Like it's just, it's, he's, he's the cleanest player I've ever met. Wow. So one of my first exposure to you was yeah. um, through the Dion Taylor, because we had actually done a video of her playing at Jazz FM. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was that with Joel? Was I there with that big yellow guitar? And that, that, I can't if, remember the guitar. That would have been maybe with Joel, who's now producing the record. He sort of took off with the birds of, uh, and, and started touring with them heavily after we first made that record. But yeah, that would have been early on. I think it, me and the drummer are the only two original. So how did, how did it go in Montreal? Was it, a, it was awesome. Uh, we had two guerrilla showcases, which I do with Dion mostly as a, as a solo. <clears throat> her and I kind of can do a, a double-edged sword. We can play as a five-piece, or we can just go like guitar and vocals. And, right. uh, we respond really well off each other. It's weird. As a, as a guy who's played guitar alone by himself most of his life, um, I, I can play along with her singing as comfortably as I can play along with myself singing. It's like weird. She's the most rhythmic, rhythmic singer I've ever met. She's like a human saxophone. It's perfect. She can carry the tune before you even start playing. So we did a bunch of shows, just her and I, in bedrooms uh, with just nickel on mandolin, me on my guitar, um, plugged in through a bass rig, which is just terrible if you're into tone. But we still made it work, and then Dion just singing uh, acoustically in the room. Just those, those were probably our best moments of getting to people. Mm-hmm. That's what we like. We like when the show's good. We're players. We're, we're lucky we have people there to help represent us and pay attention to what's important because... 
we keep our heads down pretty good. <laughs> we had we had people there representing the music on a business side so that we could just focus. But and our and our huge stage show thing went well. Um, you know, they're always like, get there, wait, get up quick, play super fast, get like out twenty of there. minutes or something. Yeah, right? and you don't even know. Like, it's funny you could warm up for twenty minutes before, or an hour or two before you even get on there, but. It's something about the the quickness of those stages. Just everything feels colder. Everything feels faster. So your hands react differently, and it's the stress. And I don't, maybe it's just me, but I always find no matter what, my motor skills operate differently under the twenty minute than they do the forty five or the the three hour. And maybe I'm just easier on myself. But I always find that those long travels and short sets very unnerving. I can imagine. I mean, twenty minutes isn't a long time. I mean, as a singer, Dion is perfect. She never ever needs to warm up. I've never heard her not warmed up. Wow! But she also doesn't b- hang out with us before the show. Like she'll like disappear and do her thing, and probably warming we, up. Yeah, we don't bother her. Like it's she's one of the first musicians I've lived with that has like a thing. Um, I have a thing, but my thing is like always been looked at as kind of antisocial because like it's just I'm one guy in a band. It's like I disappear. But when you have a band and certain members disappear to do their thing and have like their vibe, sort of and get in their zone, it's like very. It's nice. At least you're, it's it's nice to know that you're with people that are in love with what they do. It's like elaborate on the thing. What does that mean? Meditation. Uh, you know, for Dion, it's singing in a room with her. Like she's got, she's always got a speaker and like like music playing always and i don't know what she's listening to but she's always always on his own singing doing her thing uh, for me it's a lot of that too i listen to when i'm traveling i get nervous uh about everything because i have like horrible anxieties so i get into like power pop music generally female singer based stuff like churches has been a lot of fun uh, so i get into the zone of like just loving sound and you don't have to really be able to produce those sounds yourselves, but you sort of learn, you're like, how could I articulate that myself with my instrument? And you put yourself in this little make-believe fantasy zone, and it just kind of fills you up with some excitement, you know? Like, how, how difficult is it living with the anxieties that you're talking about? Terrible, most of the time. But I'm 30, I'll be 38 in May, and I've been working on it heavily since I was 18. Did it just hit you at 18? And it, it, it really started to hit me when I was like 13 and 14. And did like, you know what was I going knew, on? I, I knew something was different in me because certain tendencies I noticed I shared with other people. Like I wanted to go out and do stuff, but I never had like a fear of missing out. I kind of did throughout my adolescence and teenage years. Definitely after discovering girls, uh, you want to go and be part of everything. But I had a really sort of distant relationship with 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 everybody like teachers and like I missed so much school and because no one noticed anxiety got in I way. just didn't want to be there and like I didn't have anybody to hang out with like I skipped probably more school to play guitar or to just sit somewhere and listen to music and think about what I wanted to do with music in a very selfish way I, I probably did that more by myself than I did any time with my friends to get high or you know we, we stole beers off our parents or you know, like drinking in the football field, like that kind of stuff. Like I probably could count the amount of times in a month I would see friends. Like I would go out on the weekends and stuff, but I had an early curfew. And my parents were always pretty strict when it came to that. And that's actually probably kept me in good good faith with a lot of people is because I have the tendency to, to bury myself in things I love. And if I, you know. If, yeah, well, what's the difference between not going to school because of anxiety or not going to school because you just love playing guitar? I don't know. School was really weird for me. I graduated in 2000, I guess, high school in 2000. 
or 99 or 2000 or something like that. So, and it, it took me like six years to do it. So like I was there like considerably a lot longer. I was that old guy in class that was embarrassed to be there because all those grade 10s that I knew in grade 12 are now in my class. And just because I couldn't pass anything because I couldn't, I couldn't, you couldn't give me an assignment where I felt like I needed to do it. And like, I really found the challenge with that. Like, and it got really bad. I don't know how it, I don't know how my parents didn't hear more about it. Like I would anticipate the phone call home. I was able to I, I got caught in gym class <laughs> skipping two weeks once when a teacher was away for like surgery on his knee or something. And like we had like this martial fire chief guy come in. He was a badass. This guy looked like he was out of like a war zone, young and square in every way. And I was not ha- I wasn't gonna hang out with this. I was smoking like cigarettes that was my hobby at the time like I wasn't into this guy you know what I mean I'm like 17 so I got caught missing all that and my dad found out that I had forged his name my dad was so pissed it was the only time my dad really intervened at school my mom would always intercept that and that probably saved me a lot um, of hardship because my father and I weren't always the closest during that point but uh, he was working so much that he was just stressed and him and he and I are the same sort of person so I know his anxiety was probably just off the charts in his own way so like I can't even you never thought about quitting school I never ever thought about quitting school because I didn't know where else I would go that's pretty amazing that you would stick around even though you weren't enjoying it yeah and and saying absolutely I knew I needed to get just that that diploma that I've never seen I still haven't seen it. I know that I had enough credits because when they showed me the list that I didn't have to return, I just, it was like remaining credits to earn or something was zero. I was like, I feel like that minute I faded into the the background. When I found out you were 18, you could sign out of school and they wouldn't call your house. <laughs> That's when my guitar practicing really helped. And I got a job at a bakery while I worked at high school. I was actually, my first job was my buddy Andrew got me a gig working with his mom who was a security officer at a Molson Amphitheater back when it was Molson. Nice gig. So 17. So I was already signing out of school or getting up at like one o'clock in the afternoon going, look, ma'am, I have a job. She goes, how do you have a job that's more important than getting a high school education? I go, I don't know. I'm in history class right now. I have a job at Molson Amphitheater. I want to be a musician and I'm working on a rock concert place. I figure this is better for me than this. That's exactly what I told the class. And this was a business entrepreneur teacher, I remember. She was smart. And uh, Miss Crawl, I think, or something? I don't know. No, that was definitely the gym teacher. He's never going to leave there. But anyways, she was like, you know, uh, she couldn't argue with the fact that, like, I was failing that class, like 30%. I had showed up that day just so that I could sign out and show that I had something else. I wasn't, I wasn't doing drugs. I wasn't hiding from the world under a bridge. I mean, often that's where I would try to practice, but that's where, like, I would lose my money anyways. It's always very gang-oriented, my neighborhood growing up, Mississauga. You had to watch yourself. How did guitar come into your life? It was the only thing that gave me a sense of purpose, like definitely enthusiasm. Like I say, we, I got beat up a lot in high school. A lot of my friends did. Uh, we had a lot of gang activity between some housing project areas that literally surrounded the GTA, which is now just back then Mississauga, like 5 and 10, like Rochecourt, Midwich, uh, South Common Mall and all these areas and like Aaron Mills Town Center and Sheridan Mall. Like there's this giant like miles and miles of all these shopping centers that had like low, lower income and government subsidized housing where like you had a lot of like dangerous people having kids. That's all I don't know what else to say is that like these kids came from something and like they were driving around on bicycles all day going in and out of different villages and different towns terrorizing kids. I my allowance was constantly taking my cigarettes petty little things but it's that hierarchy of being bullied 
right. and having to look out for everything that I did constantly. And if it wasn't at walking home from school or at school with the teachers, it was at home with my mom and dad or my, bro- my sister and my brother were kind of working at this point. They're older than me. So they're gone. And they, they had their examples and I was very different on my parents. I don't think they were prepared for Sean. And I do love my parents very much. They did such a great job. We have a, a laugh about it now, but my dad's like 72. So uh, to me, he's like a, a Sean Pinch in Vietnam veteran. Like he's seen it all. Like I don't even bring it up because he'll start having shell shock. You know, I love him that much. So there's, you know, there's no animosity after it all. But yeah, definitely the guitar was like, yo, I will force field you with sonic goodness. And like Jimi Hendrix and like rock stars were badass. And like, I mean, now it's a whole new level of now they're just bad and ass. Um, <laughs> so tell me, was the guitar just given to you? Or? No, it was the hardest thing to acquire in my entire life. And um, what made you want to get the guitar? Was it Hendrix? Um, Nirvana, I think Kurt Cobain had just died. I think he had just, hopefully as we, we will believe, committed suicide taking his own leap and uh i had heard a few of the unplugged songs come out just before that like all apologies about a girl and then i heard where'd you sleep last night so i had this like a bluesy acoustic shaggy grunge guy in my head and so i started learning about nirvana a little bit so i wanted to learn acoustic guitar same time navid came out by our lady peace big acoustic guitar strumming video music videos were a huge thing like 91 to 97 like hallelujah the wedge hayden came out with everything I long for, which I still think is one of my favorite records ever. Um, and I saw him playing acoustic guitar and harmonica. Immediately I was like, solo acoustic, sad bastard music. But I like this blues thing. And I never really thought Hendrix was a blues guy. I remember hearing his name and seeing it on pictures. But to me it was his Skid Row or, or Motley Crue. It could have been anything like that. Or Metallica or Iron Maiden. I was very... Like I had a, a Weird Al Yankovic tape and a, and a Phantom of the Opera tape. You know, I had very little as far as like my sister gave me a police tape and I was like, well, this is awful, which is terrible <laughs> because I like the police and they, it would have been a great thing to swallow at the time. But I did sort of connect eventually blues and Hendrix. I saw a reference in the guitar magazine and I so I, I kind of took Nirvana's acoustic record because I wasn't into the electric record so much, but I was trying. I kind of took... Hendrix, Nirvana, someone has showed me 500 pounds by Big Sugar. And that was like the stunner for me. Because then there's a slide guitar playing on his archtop guitar, which to me was like the opposite of Hendrix. It was like thick, fat, and slidey versus thin, whippy, and, and all over the map. So I was like, I love both of these. I can't just do one. I must try both. So I, I bought a slide and it rusted out. I never played it, but... I've had millions of slides. How easy was it just to try the It was terrible. It was terrible. Years. I don't think I had... It took me about two years to learn how to play any chords. And then somebody taught me something. Um, I've only had one guitar lesson in my life. So like... And that was a jazz lesson with Mark Peltzer from... uh, Or Pelletzer, sorry. From... um, He's in the band Magic now. He's their guitarist. He's he's unreal. And such such a great teacher. He just taught me a little bit of knowledge. And that was enough for me to kind of be like... I think I'm still going to do... High school didn't work... Lessons with friends won't work either. It was, you know, and, we, and this is pre-YouTube friends at home. So I want you to know that there was no internet. Well, because I can't, I mean, I can't imagine learning how to play guitar just listening to records, but people terrible. do. 
they're um, wrong. That's but, why like tunings were so important. Like, yeah, like look, I can't imagine doing slide and, and open tunings. There was basically that. none. I was gonna be a Jimi Hendrix wannabe for a while, and then I got into like like I learned like the Nirvana unplugged album and the Eric Clapton unplugged album, basically song for song. But was that than, easy for you? That wasn't easy for me. Um, but it it was easy for me to dedicate my time. I dedicated probably about four years of my life mastering those two records. Man, I probably learned about fifteen or to 20 grunge albums at the, like between Bush and Nirvana from front to back every song without knowing what I was doing so on an acoustic on electric and an acoustic okay. um, mostly acoustic the first acoustic was given to me by a neighbor that gave me a nylon string and uh, I'm pretty sure that thing's probably broken in half because I put steel strings on it that were too heavy for it I know me and that guitar were never friends. I don't think I ever learned anything more than the Chuck Berry riff, and even that hurt my fingers. And was this like a solitary journey? Yeah. Did you oh, ever yeah. get into a band? Yeah, sort of. I went into. I joined a band that, that I later found out was all full of Christian kids that didn't like the fact that I wasn't Christian. True story. This happened to me twice, but uh, twice. And it was only because I didn't go to church and wasn't part of any sort of other group that they didn't feel they wanted to connect with me. I was just something outside of the rails first time i ever felt like a bad boy because if they knew the bad boys that i was dealing with they would have not judged me so harshly what kind of music were they playing terrible christian rock okay but to me it was just like they were all like they were good looking guys they had like some of them had tattoos already their hairs were all greased up and i got in it with my buddy matt and matt was not a church guy but he sort of had fooled them i guess i don't know how (laughs) I don't know how the hell he was there. He's just super smart. Matt's so smart that everyone likes Matt. And that was Matt's deal. Um, Matt was just extremely intelligent and easy to get along with. So he got me into the band. And like everyone quit after the first rehearsal. So it became me and Matt's band with the drummer. <laughs> so I took over a Christian rock band. We kept their name. Their name was Glassbox. Because you can see the inside. Because God can see inside of you or something like a glass box. It was the coolest name with the dumbest story. I loved it. I'm not so, picking on Christians, but like, I'm just saying, when you're 16 and you're going through this, you're like, wow, this is not like, this is Mississauga for you. You just get everything full bore. Like, and what was it like to be in a band? Well, we were, you know, we tried. We played, we played Metal Vale High School, the gig that those rehearsals were for. So the band that originally quit hated me while I was there. <laughs> So I felt kind of cool about that, and it was my first gig, and it was videotaped, and it was the best first experience you can have. I didn't sing or anything. I just played guitar solos while other people made noises. Somebody came up after and said that I was, like, unbelievable or something, and I just remember just feeling like, wow, I have never felt this good. I'm in someone else's school. I don't need to talk to anybody and I I feel like my day is done. Like, I have achieved a level of comfort with myself in a high school with a bunch of strangers. Like, that's the most terrifying thing in the world. I could never do this at my own school. I don't know if I ever did. I may have joined a few talent shows. But those were all we could, so we just did that. And, oh, wait a minute. Big Bop, The Reverb, they used to have, like, those shows. Yeah. So when we were 17, I think we were old enough to do, like, ticketed shows with loud sound development and all those, like, little companies that used to try to get kids to, like, pour their friends into a bar to make some cat. And, like, it was failure after failure. But I played some of the dirtiest stages in Toronto before I was 19. Uh, so and when it's failure after failure, what are you thinking? That if I love it this much and it's like the shittiest part, like, oh my God, this is for me, man. <laughs> so that failure didn't stop you? It no, it's like when my dad came home from golfing, he's always like, ah, I played a terrible game. It's like, I get it. 
judging himself. But God, he plays golf all the time. That was his thing. Right. I know people that don't get a chance to do that. Now he gets it. But for me, it's like, you know, sometimes I, I don't like the way I sound or the way I play, but I can always rely on the fact that, like, I've worked on my whole life to just do this selfishly. But I've also not hurt anybody's feelings getting them out of the way to do it. You know, like I chose a path and, you know, you just got to stick to it, stick course, stay true. When did you choose that path? Uh, well, you know, like leaving my, my ex. We were like together. We had a house. We were paying a mortgage together. We were thinking about like maybe adopting a kid one day because we didn't really want to have our own like a human baby with us. We Or maybe just getting a horse. Like, <laughs> we were, like let's just say we were floating. Uh, we had a lot of animals. So, and you, you weren't playing music then? Or? No, I was just playing music, yeah. Actually, okay. my ex, Sandra, got me uh, out of working a day job to work full-time. Like, she was like, take the leap, whatever, we'll do it. So she was great. But then, like, it never, it wasn't enough. Like, I think that's the problem with a lot of artists, is that sometimes we think that we figured out what we need, and as soon as we get that, we get like this grand scope of, oh God, this is just like the beginning of the urges. Like sometimes I can't put down tweaking and fiddling with my instruments and, and working on songs. Sometimes it's, it's all just to get a sound live. Other times it's to learn something. Or sometimes I don't want to do any of that and I'm interested in other people, but it, it's so on off like, like when your water breaks that I got tired of people being like kind of disappointed with my... I guess the one thing I'm not completely regular with is uh, being around other people and feeling good that way. I recharge a lot alone. And when you're being intimate with people, it's hard to be like, all right, I'm going to go away for like the whole night, every night for like the foreseeable future. Like we'll eat dinner and we'll hang out and we'll talk and stuff. But like I'm okay with going to bed at different times and having our own lives. And it's, it's just like that's kind of selfish. But that's what I had to build around me to do what I do without people like... Because when you have like a obsessive problem, mine's, it's like OCD, but it also comes out from a, a place of like wanting to get better at things. Um, right. There's got to be sacrifice. You can't have everything. You know, you can't. I don't think you can have everything and get what you want um, unless what you want is everything. Do you think that will change? I mean, I don't. I was hoping it would, but I think approaching 40, I'm going to be hard pressed to think it's going to change before 50. Like, I think this is, uh, unfortunately, I, I like, there are people that live like this um, and they have the same things to say. And I see it talked about more and more when you watch your friends grow up and have things happen like child, house, marriage, job, new car. And I still have the same obstacles I had when I was 20. You, you, sometimes you feel like kind of cheap and lazy and weak. But then like when I feel strong it's the greatest feeling ever. And it's like, it's always there. It's just a matter of me kind of catching the vibe. And I think it's a selfish thing to say that I don't completely kind of deserve and and earn everything that I got. Like you really do get what you put your mind to. Right. And I think that on some level we're all self-defeating. Maybe on some level I could achieve more and have more. But I haven't allowed myself to yet, so I, you know. So, but you've done pretty well in the last yeah, few years. Yeah, I mean, certainly, like, I was thinking about it in the shower today. Weird, weird topic. There I was, <laughs> cleaning away. And I was like, you know what? Like, I think about all the guys that I love in music that I'll never get a chance to meet that have either died or have had their careers taken away from them, like Ryan Adams recently. Talk about heartbreaking. Ugh, heartbreaker. Get it? His first record. But, like, 
in I think the most annoying of his records, to be perfectly honest. Like people always like oh, that record's not this. When I bring up how sad I was that he was pulled out as being the latest um, ego, ego maniacal male chauvinistic kind of music guy. I mean, like the list is the list is definitely going to keep growing, but. When you hear, like, you know, that some of your heroes aren't the greatest of people, it gets, you know, the journey gets a little darker. Well, think, okay, so darkness is something that we Obviously, to. we all have something. Yeah. Isn't it funny to feel, like, humbled? Because the person you, like, I know every musician I've ever thought was perfect, I found flaws that I can either relate to or I can learn from. And I think that that's kept me going like I hate to say that I've learned through other people's tragedies but like it's one of the reasons I've never been married it's one of the reasons I don't have kids do you think I mean when you I don't know if you want to talk about this but when you think that you talk about everything is it is there a chance that you will never be married does that bother you uh it doesn't bother me at all okay <laughs> then it's I, good, then. I think the idea of me not wanting to get married or have kids is something I should have come to terms with a while ago and I wouldn't have I wouldn't have wasted so many years injuring myself because I always have like repercussions for how I feel and like I feel guilty making other people like you know feel bad or or if someone's not happy in a relationship or something's not working it bugs me on a constant level um regardless of whether it's my job to fix it or not I'm just that kind of empathetic guy. So I think I could have avoided a few years if I was a little more honest with myself. But had I not gone through that, I don't know if I could have made the decision to be like... Because I think I wanted kids at one point. I must have. I mean, we had like seven pets when we lived in this one house. Like, that's a lot of mouths to feed, even if they're small and right. medium. Like, I recently had to give up a, my dog to a, to a family uh, or to a retired couple because I was traveling more and more and I just don't like regularly and by regularly leaving my little fur baby who was my my best friend and that taught me a valuable lesson because that hurt more than my breakup because the breakup was done well we we had burned out we we had, the leash had ripped you know like everything had gone the candle was out we were just like tired of running in circles and we both helped each other sort of move on um it was the best scenario i could ever think of so obviously that shows i'm doing something right right um and I gave up my, my, my best little buddy, uh, and when Lenore went, I wrote the new record, and that sucked. I was like, man, I shouldn't have done that. But I was like, man, it was the most selfless thing I've, I could have done was to give my dog to someone who's constantly in need of that companionship, and an older, retired couple is perfect, especially for what I raised. Whoa, she was something. She was a cuddle muffin. <laughs> so how do you deal with that loneliness? Uh, I stopped beating myself up thinking that I was being judged by anyone else. I like it's weird. My perspective of myself is sometimes due to what I hope other people think about me, and I think that that is a terrible, terrible thing to have vanity and ego. But I'm not immune to it. I certainly don't strive to like climb the corporate ladder. In fact, I think too many of us do. <laughs> like the, we became rock stars and musicians to uh, to to be outlaws, but like also to give all the money to the poor, like Robin Hood. So like, there's always a good thing, you know. Like I I find that it. I don't even like I don't pay attention to Folk Alliance unless I'm being hired by someone. Like you've probably never seen me there myself because I I don't know if I could f finish applying for it online myself without 
losing so much interest, I'm literally wheeling my, my chair across. Like, I have a horrible attention deficit disorder. So I kind of just open up to myself and go, yeah, what works and what doesn't? What leaves a sour taste in my mouth? What can I pay someone to do for me? This attention deficit disorder. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of my anxiety comes from. It's because I'm aware that I have a fleeting thought progression. Does it affect you in music? It affects everybody around me. No, but I mean, like... It affects music for sure. I can think you it gives focus me, into what you're doing or not focus? I think it gives me the mutant ability to improvise more than some can. I think I have an uncanny ability to keep running. It doesn't have to be interesting. And I don't even have to have a scale in mind, but I, 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 I'm pretty good at, like... I think it's a, a, a given like a God-given gift that I have. And I don't mean this with any sort of like, 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 me. none of that. Like, it's a curse if you don't use it properly. The reason that most people find me hard to be around is because I'm a too much information rambler. I lose track of everything, as you've noticed. I can derail any conversation. <laughs> and uh, and I can own any room. So I'm, I'm either the too much or too little. And I think that that causes me anxiety. And with music... It's the exact opposite. It's like all the colors of the rainbow are available at my fingertips because my emotions are like kind of out of control sometimes. How does, how does the anxiety get in your way of being a musician? Definitely with being business-minded. I tend to be very cold and secluded on my own. Like People throw me bones, and that's what helps. Um, festival promoters that know me. like I get most of my festival gigs by emailing the directors themselves as opposed to applying through like I would never do sonic bids although I've wasted some money on that but um like Folk Alliance is great Blues Summit's great um I've had a couple I've had one Maple Blues nomination I think I've been to two Maple Blues awards I have trouble hanging around those kinds of organizations and I've had conversations about like well they exist in all these different avenues and you got to sort of jump in in order to swim with the fish so I understand the relationship with all this stuff but if it doesn't feel good at my core to be doing that and I don't at the end of the day get what I'm fully looking for and what I'm looking for is is sounding like no one else playing like no one else um and I'm getting there but do you think I don't, I don't think it's going to happen when I'm alive. I honestly don't think it's going to, that's going to be a thing. I don't think I'm going to like have a million dollar song and one day I'm going to pull up to my mom's house in a Corvette and be like, I bought you a new house, even though you just bought this beautiful house. <laughs> you know, like, or I, like I'm going to pay all your medical bills. You're going to live to be a thousand. Like, I, I wish I could do that. But like, that is just such a uh, ego maniacal way to be. Like, I just want to be the most green musician I can. I want to be... I want to leave as much music as I can before I die. I don't want to die in a stupid way. I want to live honestly, work honestly. And if, you know, like, I pay attention to how people leave this planet. I played a gig that changed my life a few years ago. Um, Tell me about it. A violinist was on her last few days of life. And she was, you know, in... uh, sitting at home with her tubes and she had she had a cancer and she was she was dying violin teacher though and she had heard about me through one of her friends so I played for her in her living room where her and I jammed first time meeting her and I just sat across from each other shook hands and told some jokes and then I played a little bit she's never jammed with a blues person in her life probably she's classical and Celtic music and a lot of the fiddle stuff and beautiful things so I was just like well we'll just do some folk music like Bob Dylan stuff and 
we had about an audience of like four people, including her doctor and her husband. Uh, so I felt really uncomfortable for this. Because uh, like, I know this is like it. But then I'm like, man, this is like, I got to stop being nervous. And I got to like, I'm going to sing and play. So I brought my national 1934 steel guitar and I sat in there. And I just put on a concert like I would. And I was sweating so much for the first two songs. But as soon as she started playing with me and singing with me and... I was, I dried up. I wasn't sweating anymore. I was like, I was doing it for a purpose. And I was like, man, this is how I'm going out. This is how I'm going out. Surrounded by the best people playing music. So my goals immediately were then is to keep my hands working. Keep my brain and my wits. It's so nice to hear the music and Alzheimer's aren't friends, you know? Because I had my grandmother go through Alzheimer's and like she lost it all. Um... And my dad, I had to watch him lose his mother that way. So it's like, it's it, music it seems to be this like Jedi force ability that I'm cool with donating my life to. Because from 16, 17, it is the only real super friend that I've ever had. Like when nobody else was there, I had music to guide me to the right doctor, the Musicians Clinic of Canada, which saved my life. Like, saved my life which is where I started seeing a cognitive behavioral therapist uh, John Chong who ran the thing he's like this is in Hamilton right? this is Hamilton and Toronto I went to the Toronto one I had seen my carpal tunnel and see I, I had metaphysical issues I basically caused provable injuries on myself that my my work at the time had given me six months of physiotherapy paid for I had a carpal tunnel test done on my right arm I had all this back stuff covered. Like, I had all this money thrown at, what's wrong with Sean? He's like 17, he's falling apart. 18, falling apart. 19, he's falling apart. 20, he's still falling apart. This guy puts a bunch of little readers on me and asks me a few questions while I'm playing music. You see my my muscles and my body activities go f- way off the charts. And he goes, well, there's there's restricted blood flow and tension and nerves being bundled up. He's like, no wonder you have pain. He goes, and it's like coming from your head. And it took me a long time to realize that I was injuring myself. It's like it's like metaphysical. Fibromyalgia is a big one. Right. I mean, that's basically what it is. It's it's internalized pain, but your body reacts to that training, and your nerve bundles can become swollen and sore, and you can have like a bad stake in your neck, and you won't get any blood flow. So you're gonna have pain everywhere. So I I dealt with pain from 18 to about 30, where I thought I couldn't play guitar, and that was my only thing. I just wanted to do this. And then I hadn't played this gig that I was telling you about with, with Susan, the violinist, at that point, thank God. It would have put me in a stress. Um, but getting to the point, when I learned how to deal with my hands and my pain and my trauma and my, my, my reactions, like sometimes I know I'll have a headache for five days because I was stressed out about something and my muscles and my neck were sore and I massaged them. But I know for the next five days I'm going to have like a bit of a headache in the side of my head and I don't have to take pills for it. It's not going to go away. It's there because I gave it to myself. That understanding right there was like a life changer. Keep my hands alive. Keep playing shows to people I love. But don't back down when I'm playing shows that, you know, are for rent, that maybe aren't the big stages and people give me grief. You know, I educate them. Uh, Unfortunately, it's a little dangerous in some towns when you stand up for yourself on stage by yourself. But most of the time, people back down and listen based on my my abilities. Um, So I use my guitar playing as a focus method method to, like, get people to put down their fork for a minute or shock them. And then I try to sing and have that be something that's 
kind of juxtaposed, and they're like, oh, that's, okay, yeah, I have lots of different influences there. And then, you know, if I'm playing a Taylor Swift song doing these things or a Flock of Seagulls tunes because it's a cover gig, I'm still doing it in the same vein that I would do a Blind Willie Johnson song. To me, that's like every blues player's job description right there. You play all the tunes that you that you like. You stick to them and you try to sell them to people. You don't you don't fake it. You don't do what they ask you to play. You play what you have and you make it work for them. That's kind of like the idea of selling yourself. Like, and I, I kind of found that that arm wrestle really kind of exciting because I found I won more than I lost. If I walked into a room and didn't obey any requests and played my my butt off, that I won them over by the end of the night and they were like happy to have me back to do my thing and then there's nothing better than being invited to a place to do your thing and be safe especially in a society where we're trying to create safe places i think i've been creating safe places in the bands or in the bars that i've been playing at for a long long time and that's one of the reasons that i'm i like to be alone is you get you hear it all you know i've i've had more life advice and career advice and love advice an insult than you can possibly imagine more regularly. Uh, and I've noticed that when you're in a trio, you get less of it because there's three of you. And the herds seem to scare off the singles. But when you're by yourself and you, and you really open up your heart to people and you, and I'm very vulnerable on stage because it, vulnerability is a strength mechanism for me. I guess it's like a skunk spray or something. It keeps them away. If I show you what I'm weak. You can't take it. You know, like it's all yours. I, I find that people every now and then a, a six pack, inside of a human being will bring them up and oh I want to dictate some some information but I don't know yeah man I've heard it all so many times everybody's like got the same few things to say and you can just you know it's like I'm not trying to put anything down but like there's a lot of dumbass situations you can be in and and people as a group aren't smart people as individuals are great but when you're in a bar drinking you everyone becomes a group mentality as the life goes on you know you I love beer, um, but I don't. I do most of my drinking when I'm not around a bar, just so I can enjoy it and have fun. Uh, but I have a hard time loosening up because of probably the the job I do. But this is all the anxiety. I mean, what a twist! How did you? <laughs> okay, so the other thing you have is depression. So there's yeah. depression and anxiety, which I presume would be connected to one another. I kind of feel like one. Yeah, like the depression is like a an anxiety and depression. It's like two different ways of looking at the same sort of thing. Like. So I know that the article I read about that, um, it talked about the first uh, two, of your, two of your albums where you, you wrote a lot about depression. The latest album that you're just releasing, yeah. is it under, going the same direction? Or, yeah. I like, is it the, sorry, your depression, is it as intense as it was back then as things changed? Mm, I think Russ Bucket was the opening of a can of worms for me and was that difficult that was that was difficult but it was like needed and then i had to do monkey brain monkey brain was going to make or break honestly if monkey brain didn't get nominated for juno and it didn't do as well as it did i might not have made bad things i was on the fence about putting in the time and the money to do it that way and going back to just making acoustic records like my first four because i have seven releases like the first four sound like crap and the songs are terrible but um the playing's heartfelt everything there is 100 percent me no filter I've learned enough to maybe make those albums better. I'm like, that could be much. So, but then like monkey brain does well and I have more to say and I'm not done. And I need my, I need my filter, my writer, my buddy, Rob. And I love vintage movies and you gotta have a trilogy. 
So Rob and I. This is Rob Zabo. Zabo, Rob Zabo, my my partner in crime. I mean, I don't even. We just co-wrote the last two records. Like we, I wrote a few songs on Rust Bucket myself, but I didn't even go that way on the other ones. I was so comfortable with him. Um, Is it easy to write about depression? Yeah, I think so. It's easy for me to be overly cynical. I don't know if the world. Not everyone likes that. Some people. To me, it's a comic. I look at myself as like a really, really, really bad amateur stand-up comic. I'm constantly just being a little bit sarcastic, a little bit funny, just to kind of keep myself remind, like, like in the. It's a joke. Everything is kind of, even the serious stuff to a point is, is fleeting. It's got to be funny. It's got to be funny. Like Seinfeld said it best: If you're not going to make me laugh, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I gotta be honest. I try to make bank tellers laugh. I make my tax accountant Mike laugh. Like, I try to make everybody laugh every time they see me or enjoy the music. Otherwise, I disappear. It's pretty selfish to think that we're we're designed for anything more than that. I think because like that's where like the rest of it all. I mean, you watch enough history documentaries, um, which I do. I like, I just you see patterns, and you're like, yeah, like it's, sometimes it's safer just to stay within your muse. Learn how to fuel your muse. Find what you love to do, and and if you can sacrifice everything to do it, then I'm on your team. You also work a lot. I mean, I look at the I schedule. did. I worked a lot more. Um, this is the least I've ever played. I'm a, I'm I'm like ten shows a month now, which is just enough to get by on sometimes. Is I, that by choice? Yeah, that- it wasn't, but then it was, and then I realized that even when it wasn't, it was like because that's what I'm saying is you get everything you want. I wanted to start being. I wanted to be taken seriously in every bar I played, even the bars, the pubs, the shows. And when people tell me that, oh, you're going to play this and that to get this and that, I'm like, I don't believe it. People stood up on desks back in the day and yelled from the top of the lungs to protest things. And you can move mountains with a human voice. I there's a beautiful song line in a Rob Zabel song called "A Song, a, a, a Song and a it was a Voice and a Song in a Room is a Service." It's off of his last album, okay. um, yeah, "Piece of Me." Or uh, oh, I just—it's I, on there. It's on my iPod. You know, you forget everything. <laughs> what what's the name of everything? But uh, a voice in a room with a song is a service. I was like, it is. It's like I'm the sole fire extinguisher. Like when someone comes in not feeling great, hopefully, if they hear me for a minute, they can trigger some happy anything. Anything. Sometimes people get into me just taking on opportunities, like it's playing a song in a way they've never seen it before. That'll just be enough for some people. I've ruined a lot of dates because the the one partner will be, oh, I love that tune, and then they'll be into me all night because he's had a couple of drinks, he's excited, and he doesn't realize she's taking it as he's not interested. And then I get embarrassed because I'm empathetic, and then I start feeling bad for her. It's a weird thing, but that's why I play in bars with because I, I love that interaction with like how a song actually works so I don't know like getting bad things done it had to happen and I still had to maintain a humble living so I don't know playing playing 300 times a year doesn't work anymore maybe 175 I could do and I, is that something you can do oh, we'll see like doing it now that's that's the argument it's the shower question of the day again like I'm there I am I'm doing it like Album's getting paid off slowly. My guitars are awesome. I live in a decent place finally, in back in North York. You know, like live underneath a family um, in a basement apartment. You know, like a lot of basement apartments out there. Uh, 
there is so much unused property in Toronto. Like, I'm never going to own a house. Do I care? Man, I don't think so. If I was to ask you about your goals, musically, yeah. what would they be? I definitely want to have, like, 25 records. <laughs> yeah? I want to make, like, or at least 20 consecutively made records. And it seems to be every three years. So that's, that's pinning me up there. Um, <laughs> I want at least to get to the next 10 by 50, you know, like, or, or get to 10 by 50. So that'd be three more. Um, I want to, I want to be around when, when the wave, when the crest of the wave kind of spills over and heads back to the sea with like the music downloads and music management and tour. And like, maybe, maybe there's, if I just stay devoted to the cause and I, and I keep myself as, as humane as I can, as far as the treatment of others, especially now with like the knowledge of how terrible like the entertainment is, especially to women and indigenous and people of like all sorts of different things, like understanding and appreciating that world, like pretending we have a space station all of a sudden and we have all kinds of aliens around us. Let's just pretend we're in Star Trek. If we can get our mentality there and I can, and I can find a way to like live in a society where I'm productive human energy to have around, even just standing in line getting coffee, I don't suck the life out of the room. Because when I'm not in a good mood, sometimes I can't. And, and I know that. So I, I think if I can get my head around being a good moral person and, and staying motivated to keep learning, and, and as long as music keeps inspiring me, I just want to keep making more music. I would love to have some of my bills taken care of. I would love to have enough house gigs to have that taken care of. But it, I feel like if I were to choose one thing over the other, I'm missing out on some other part, some poetic thing. The struggle's part of it, man. Like, my friend posted, you know, like, who out there's struggling, living the dream? And I was like, it's just written backwards. Struggling is living the dream. Does, does the fact that the music industry or the music, the record industry is so turned upside down, does that change in the way you approach, like, no. you know, are you saying you want to do 25 albums or whatever? I yeah. mean, albums are expensive. They are. They're not selling as much. And I'm probably going to not be able to get grants forever, you know? So, I mean, does that, does that come into play? Do you think differently about creating music? I think music? survival is the key to, to maintaining everything. If you can't survive the changes, that's what art is. Like me playing acoustic guitar, slide guitar, blues from the 20s, 30s, and 40s, but keeping that current in 2019, it's no different. I mean, sure, Peter Frampton posting 55 million streams, accounting for $1,700 through ASCAP or whatever that was. That was a tweet. I, was, I mean, that's shocking. Mm -hmm. But I've never had 55 million streams. <laughs> so, sorry, Pete. Like, <laughs> I'm not picking on you, buddy, but I've been playing guitar for a lot less for a lot longer, and I love it. And I'm not underselling what it's worth, but there's, there's a value in what I do, too. And I think that a lot of people get down on themselves when they shouldn't especially when they're being artists as opposed to just performers. Um, so how do you approach... So you're putting out this new album. What are, what are the goals for this new album? It'd be cool if it got another Juno nomination. Although I, I don't know if because of my potential sort of my lust to keep it sort of underground, like I can't... I don't even know how the first one got there. So well, that would be great. To get a, a Juno nomination, honestly, that'd be the top of my list. If I could have a Christmas gift, I would love to have a Juno nomination. What, Two did, nominations what did the last equals, one mean to you? The last one meant that people were listening and that my songwriting and my guitar playing was universally justified now. 
Having Colin Linden and Colin James on that and having my friend be the winner. I think I got the best Juno year. I really do. I lost to the guy I wanted to win, Paul Reddick. Right. And I didn't lose to the two guys I've been listening to since I was 17. <laughs> and I got to eat with one of them, Linden. He's the best. I just want to be like Colin Linden, but I, you know, I don't want to have a scandalous dark story about me. I don't want to have like terrible like oh the heroin years i don't want to have any of those i want to be like you know pot's been legalized in canada you know i'm i'm really good with that like thank you (laughs) now i can travel and not have like meltdowns in other provinces because like my anxiety gets out of way i can my medication makes me feel gross and you know like this is something that i think the government's really doing to help us it's kind of working out for me in a sense because people watch these america's got everything canada's new next singer this that and the other Bars still want to have live music. More bars that have never had music are calling me up going, hey, we're going to try music on Saturdays. Do you have any people you'd recommend? And immediately I go, I have four or five that I would love to recommend that are like passionate, awesome, world-class performers. So why are they calling you? I think they call me because I'm friendly and approachable and I don't have anyone else around me. Okay, so when you talk about not being into the business side of things... But obviously you're doing well enough to get a lot of gigs and for people totally. to call you. I don't apply for gigs. That's the, when I ask, start asking for gigs, I'm, I'm really hungry. And that's a scary sign. But most of the work I get, 98% of the work I get, is from people just asking me if I would like in on something, me agreeing to certain terms, and then us having a relationship until it no longer financially works for them. I've been playing in Stratford for like eight years at the Boar's Head, maybe more, like five to six times a year. I I was there the other day thinking, man, I've been this is the longest gig. I've played every t- style that I've ever had through this place. Had the best and worst shows of my life here. <laughs> it's just a pub. It stays the same. It's like it's like every day in a relationship. You have your good days and your bad days, or being in my brain, having my good days and bad days. What happens when you have bad days? I shut myself down. I try to stay away from people. And what what is a bad day? Is it just bad audience or just your bad playing? Or oh, Sometimes I think it's more me than anything because like, I've had bad audiences and not even noticed. And I've had good audiences and thought I was being attacked. I honestly think it's all me. I think perspective is everything. I, and if you're t- truly believing in the force, you can change the room. When I'm strong enough, I can ch- turn a room into to work for me. And that's what I love. It's a magician. You know? like, I'm, just this, I'm just a vibe maker. Um, and I used to think it was kind of big of me to walk into a room to make vibes, but like, no, no, that's my job now. It's my job is to be a vibe. My voice will be loud. You will hear it. And if you don't like it, like I'm, I'm almost comfortable getting fired sounding like me than trying to pretend to be someone else now. Like, and, and I think once you do that, does that even happen anymore? Oh, it has happened. I've walked, I'm sure it's happened. I've walked out on gigs, um, but it's always the funniest when somebody at this point, after seeing me for this many years, has no idea what I do. Like, I still get the odd gig where I'm like, well, this is not what I do. Like, the Yacht Club guy, like, he was great, but, like, he came to my show and he, he didn't like my banter. He thought it was a little bit offensive here and there. I go, what the hell do you think? I'm playing to bars all the time. I have some dark comedy jokes. Maybe I wasn't going to say them at your Yacht Club, but, like, you can't criticize me for being me. Now I don't want to take the gig. It's like... I, when you work for yourself, I, I mean, I, it's me. There's no one else to pay other than my landlord, you know? Like, and as long as I keep my goals simple, like, I mean, again, I, longevity, I don't know how long I can keep doing this. I've been compared to Tim Williams a few times uh, when it comes to, like, my, my work ethic and, and even some of the s- styles I go for. And he's, like, a, a 
just a gem in Canada. He's an older blues player. This mm-hmm. just I love his playing. Whenever I hear him on the radio, I'm like, oh my god! Like maybe I'd be lucky to even do that. Maybe I'd be lucky to be a Harrison Kennedy one day. You know, in my seventies. Tell me about the good of the great gigs. Great gigs are usually in like Quebec. <laughs> usually on Mont Tremblant or Montreal Jazz Fest. Or, I like I like playing the the stages in Kitchener at the Blues Fest in Orangeville. Um, so you like festival? Gigs. I like festival stage gigs because I like being separated from like an audience. I like a bit of a buffer zone to play really loud and 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 not feel looked at. But honestly, I've been getting more and more comfortable since I started touring out west, uh, doing house concerts. They made me so nervous at first, but me just on an acoustic guitar singing in a room is my favorite thing now, or playing acoustic. I'm I'm full on this folky sort of thing again, and like I could sit and watch somebody strum and sing songs and just daydream about that all day right now. So that it's definitely. So when you get nervous, how do you know it's not your anxiety versus just nervousness? Uh, I usually think it's anxiety. I almost assume everything is. But how often do you get nervous in front of before a gig? Um, if I'm sharing a show with other people or it's something that has any build up towards it, usually every time, but if it's a bar game, pub to pub, like if I've played the venue once before, I almost don't get nervous ever. When you go through nervousness and I presume nervousness is necessarily a negative thing. No, usually it means that I'm paying, I'm awake and I'm I'm present (laughs) because I was terrified of that first gig at Meadowvale High School when I thought I played At what point in that gig, what point did, did you become comfortable? As soon as I played the first, like, sustained bend that sounded good to me, I was like, Wah! I was like, ah, <laughs> it wasn't all in my head. Because I'm like, do I just sound this good in my head? Because, yeah, sometimes you do. That's what right. your first record's all about. Ah! Oh, my God. Like, you know, like you just. So but, now when you go to a gig and you're nervous, how long does it take to get over that? Um, as soon as I start talking to the audience. If I get any response that's cool or the bar guy laughs or somebody's, you know, I usually say something like, what's going on, everybody? I'm Sean. Someone will go, woo, music. I'll be like, all right, that works. <laughs> like, I just have to have like a, I, I need but to. But it put, could be that quickly. It could be that. It could be literally like, I'll go from a hot, dense, sweaty, my head's perspiring to a cold moment of. Is it ever. Sometimes it freaks me out. I'm like, I wish I'd brought a change of shirts because setting up and be, and seeing this audience of people eating dinner in a place I've never been before, it's been terrifying me all day. But as soon as I got here, I realized the clientele is totally going to be into what I'm doing. Like, I, it's, sometimes I almost feed off the fear. Like, I, fear is a, is a friend sometimes. Like, if you're not afraid, are you doing anything new? You know, like, it's one right. of those things. So I think the reason I don't get afraid after I've played there before is just because of how many times I've done this. This is all I've done for the last five years. Um, so there's definitely thousands of shows there. Did you ever think, oh my God, what am I doing? I should do something else. Oh God, twice since Christmas. 16 times last year. And then how- I always think about emailing Long McQuaid where I used to work and being like, hey guys, remember me? We used to have a dance together. You know, like <laughs> maybe that'll be my future. Maybe I'll work in a music shop or Starbucks has a nice benefit plan. Like, you know, there are, I've always thought like, shoot, maybe, maybe. I should go work at a cannabis store because I support that whole movement. Or maybe I can go work at like a pot store or hell, maybe I could just go back to work in retail. I've worked every retail there is from Music World on down. Like the decline, I, Music World, man, CDs, baby. I was pumping VHS for a while. Like I know what I'm doing. But I, my enthusiasm is good. I'm, I think that I could be a good salesman and, and sell instruments and sell things. But 
will that sustain me? If I ever decided to give up my enthusiasm for the lust for that muse, that moment where things make sense to me, where I wanted to do own more than my instrument, um, then yeah, I could see myself switching. And I don't think I would be vain about it, thinking that I needed a gig that was like impressive to to the world. I'd be like, I'd be happy being a part-time guitar teacher or working at a guitar shop again, still playing gigs. Uh, I mean, that was always my plan. If Sandra and I ever had kids, I would go back to work. And, but you would never quit music. I don't know if I'd ever quit music. I think that it would keep me sane. I might become like a home guy again and just play in front of the mirror. But then my equipment rig would change. Like it wouldn't be like guitars that I... Like most of my money now goes to like pickups to plug in to make my guitars sound good live. I spend most of my money on sound reinforcement. But if I had a job and like a thing, like then you start buying red Stratocasters and <laughs> blue suede pants and... Oh, God, I'm wearing a headband. And next thing you know, it's a white Stratocaster, and I'm full-on Hendrix in my room. It's cool. Like, I used to do that. That was where I started. Like, I kind of feel like that's that's a place to go. I mean, there's definitely... I have a lot of friends that live in that lifestyle where they're ex-players. Yeah. And, or, and I have a lot of friends that, that do it all. You know, like, I, I, I hate to say that I sit on too many shoulders, but I really have held off on committing myself to anything other than the cause of music and my blues, which is selfish, but also, you know... Okay, so I think you've done well in the last five years. Thank you. Um, I certainly love it. Do you feel that way? Are you where you want to be? Well, I think that I used to hate myself more, but then people come up and I realize what they're saying to me when they're complimenting me and telling me nice things, I never heard. But then I go and compliment people that are higher up than me, and I don't know if they're hearing it. And I've always wondered about that. I'm like, well, it's just... You never see the grass for, for the trees. Or, or, so what do you mean we never heard? We never hear. Like, you know, like I feel like when you're complimenting Gordy Johnson to Big Sugar, telling him he's awesome. At a certain point, he didn't hear that anymore. And he was thinking about something else while you're saying it. Like, what can I do to really blow this kid's mind? But on some level, he came back to that and was like, Jesus. Like, yeah. I think that that's what we need to do is we need to be more like monk about it. Less, you know, like a little bit more like, oh, what's the root of this? Like they say, if you can be totally present and eating an orange, it's the greatest thing in the world. I'm not going to tell you that that's something that I have the patience for. It would have to be uh, many oranges, <laughs> you know, and probably a chocolate orange. Okay, so if somebody says, I, that was a beautiful night of music. I love that song. It hits me really nicely now, okay. especially if I did it my way. If I'm doing it the way that I think they want to hear it, and they're like, that's great. Sometimes I feel cheap. But if I'm playing to a bunch of strangers, playing my lap style, playing my acoustic, and just breathing, hemming and hawing and just being my little artist self on a stool. And they go, man, I was like, that was great. We can't wait to come back. Where else do you play? Do you have a website? That stuff. I'm like, yeah, like there, I I won again. Like it works. The light still works. I turn on the switch. The bulb doesn't need to be changed yet. Like I have dim days and bright days, but you can always reach out with a song and somebody will grab on. Are you always writing? I rarely write. So only for album projects. Yeah. It's weird. I'm a performer. I am a conduit for uh, my imagination. I am not good at retaining ideas or questions. <laughs> I am like, oh, like Wiley e. Coyote, it's running off the damn edge. I do feel like sometimes I spin like an old Mario Brother game, just whoop sliding around. Like I have like ice slippers on. Like I don't. Yeah. How do you get better? Zabo. Zabo, sit me down. Let's write. We got deadlines. This has to be done by Tuesday because I'm coming back. That helps. Now, there was a time 
was Apple got me into a writing project where I would do like an hour writing thing every day, just writing whatever. And for like a month, I think I wrote an hour a day every day. And I wrote enough songs to get Rust Bucket out of the way. But for both Monkey Brain and, and Bad Things, I was like literally, we're at the end of the deadline. And I'm like, I just got to, I have lots of riffs. I have a hard time turning them into ideas. Now, when I play live and they're in the moment like that, I find that they're worth what they're worth. But when you're writing, it's hard to sell riffs and stuff. Like you're just jamming at home. So I don't jam a lot at home now because I find that it takes away a little bit of my curiosity live. I am prepared to use certain instruments, acoustic, lap style, or resonator, or electric. Changes a little bit of my fundamental, like what I'm going to speak as or how aggressive I can be. Um, but I, I think a lot about like the tunings I'm using, the different shapes. And when I'm hearing music, I'm like, oh, shoot, what numbers are these? Is that a four chord? Is this so the one would be here? I don't know the key. I'm not perfect pitch, but how can I, how can I get movement and and music in my brain all day without actually having to wear out my fingers? Because that's where you get in the danger when you have this much enthusiasm is that you can overplay, get carpal tunnel, get tendonitis. And I've 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 scraped the surface of major injury by having minor psychosomatic breakdown for years and because of Dr. Chong and the musician's clinic and biofeedback and breathing, which I probably haven't done yet. Um, like these sorts of things have like taught me how to heal myself. And I love that thing, like rise to your optimum level of function. That was something they told me at the clinic. I was like, it sounds weird. The more I think about it, it's like rise to your optimum level of function. It doesn't say rise to the best. Don't become Yoda overnight. Like man, Yoda's 900 years old. The best Jedi, from my opinion, was always Obi-Wan Kenobi, who had kind of a crappy ride. He even died alone on a, on a desert island for most of like, I'm not saying that you need to do that, but in some cases, if what you're doing will cause other people discomfort in order for you to get there, like hitting the gym really strong, creating a diet scenario that works, getting off of drugs and getting away from people that create that scenario, like it's going to break some eggs and that almost going to happen. I think, fortunately for me, music is such a good guide. It allows me to still connect to people when you, you said movies were another thing what else oh, do you do if you if you have an off day and you're not playing guitar i like documentaries uh comedies stand-up comedies are oh man i can go i can watch six comedies a day i watched the first season of big bang theory in the last two days um i really like the first season of that it puts me in a nice state of mind um i sometimes go on history binges where it's just all world war ii and world war one and korean war and and like vietnam war i just start like going through everything Ken Burns and up. And I I don't know what it is. I, I probably am too much of a couch potato. Oddly, I don't snack a lot. Um, I'm very, I'm on the fence about that. I have a lot of diabetics in the family. So we're all kind of like, but I don't have, I don't have cable. I have Crave and Netflix. So between the two of those things, I'll often plan like my day of activities around me binge watching like, Wonder Woman before a nap and then that nap will lead me to another cup of coffee which will get me so excited to play guitar for the first time and then I'll save that excitement for a gig so I, I have like a routine that's my thing that keeps me very excited to play even the most interesting gigs like a 9am farmer's market gig you can make four or five hundred dollars playing in the morning of merch because you're playing to nice lovely people that have not had a drink and are there to buy vegetables like they're great you know like everyone's in a happy mood um so like I find that watching other like documentaries on, on other people doing it science things that humble me and everything's like live TV now so everything's designed to humble you anyways right. but and 
everyone's a rock star too with Instagram. So maybe putting down my phone would be also something I like to do as a time off, like pulling my eyes away from email and Facebook and Instagram. Do you, I know you played in Canada. Mm -hmm. Do you play elsewhere? I played in the States before only with other people. So I'm basically Canadian only. And is the goal to go to Europe, go to yeah, the United States? Yeah, I think it'd be cool. I will definitely not shake shake my head at that. I will take the opportunity to do what I'm doing as I'm doing it now in Europe. I don't know if I'd want to do the United States again. Because? Uh, purely because of the competition. Hmm. Uh, I know a little bit more about it. I know who's out there a little more. I've even we've shared gigs. I've played with a lot of uh, a lot of American artists at the international festivals, and they like coming to Canada. And they'll openly say they don't like us coming down there for the work. It's, <laughs> it's a different mentality working in the States. They're raising the P2, like 40%, 45%. Really? Oh, yeah. That was like a couple of years ago. So I, I'm taking a huge risk applying for half of these functions to begin with to showcase myself. And to do that in a, in a place that's kind of a police state at the moment, I'm not into it. Um, Europe's had their time doing that. Um, so... And I, I, I've, I've played with a few, um, I think the, the most recent um, East, Eastern musician I played with, uh, Ratom, he was from Pakistan. And he lives in Pakistan, he travels all around the world though, but he was in Canada for a month. And I did some jamming with him, uh, with, with Don Ross, and all of us kind of made a little slide blues, Indo-Canadian slide blues record. And it was the third time I played with somebody from the Eastern side of things. And I'm like, wow, a sitar player, violin player, and now a slide player, classical slide player. We're talking like the, the lap style right. of your dreams. Um, and the alphabet of that really blows my mind, like, I think if I wanted to learn more, I could see myself trying to study like Middle Eastern scales a bit more, um, which opens my concept to maybe Australia. I mean, Australia is like the best for slide roots people. Jeff Lang. Mm -hmm. I'll just go where he is. and That'd probably be another highlight. Maybe make a record with one of my favorite record uh, rockers that are still going. Colin Linden produced a record for me. That'd be amazing. Uh, or Jeff Lang. I can't, I really don't think of anyone right now. Steve Dawson would be cool, but Kevin Bright, you know, maybe play with him. Like other than like hitting hitting ac like accolades like that, or hitting some sort of like moment over like, whoo, that was a that was a really cool session, and somebody got that on YouTube. I just hope people want to like hear me and like as I get older, and I hope I'm relevant as a forty year old playing bars to kids, and as forty five and as fifty, because I think that's more my focus playing to the kids that are going to have to be rebounding after like Justin Bieber's comeback career. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm there with jokes and I'm there with music to make fun of it all. Like, you know, like maybe when Ryan Adams is looked at as the Chuck Berry of alt-rock Canada and we can start covering his music a little again, you know, feeling like we're spreading any hate. You know, maybe it'll be something to, to bring up. Like, I, I mean, who knows, right? Like life experiences happen so much quicker now. Like I say... Be funny, play music, laugh, 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 right? Well, it was a real pleasure meeting you. Thanks. Thanks for letting me babble, man. <laughs> Have fun so, editing. <laughs> I don't edit. Yeah, you're like, where? There's no period, Sean. <laughs> we, let's end off with the latest album. Tell me about the new album. and, and Sure. Um, bad Things. It's basically about giving Lenny up, um, which is a good thing. So the whole album is about giving <clears throat> no. Lenny up? Oh, okay. 
definitely the song bad things uh there's a there's a few songs on there that are about other people that i w- witnessed in the kitchener waterloo area where i lived for a couple of years um i witnessed a couple affairs happen under my radar where i had you know made some friends and had interest in one girl but this girl had gone and i think had intervened in the relationship with the other two and i had kind of no idea about it but when i did find out about it i was a little bit caught off guard and it irked me for a little while because i was kind of embarrassed and it's just one of those typical, oh, I thought I was liked, but no, just the married guy again. And in a musician's world, I guess if you're not married, it's, it's harder to look. Maybe I should start telling people I'm newly married on stage and just, I don't know, <laughs> just kidding. Anyways, so I wrote a few songs about like that from a kind of a humorous, stand, like Hands to Yourself is pretty, pretty open. Um, but I borrowed a song from Steve Strongman, who kind of put my foot in the door with a couple good agents and a couple good moments and has always spoke really highly of me and, I, I covered my favorite song of his, The River. <clears throat> Which is a beautiful song. And I, I put some strings on it. We went a little Nick Drakey on it. So I was hoping that that would help lead me into the next foray, maybe get a little more earthy on the next record. But we'll see if that continues. It's like a Easter egg, perhaps, that I just gave away. But everything... And then I got two blues songs on there, so I've covered... I think that's the first time I've covered songs since 2010. So Skip James and some Blind Willie Johnson on there. It's definitely a blues record. But I went at it with an acoustic guitar, a resonator, and a lap steel. So we added flamethrower, electric guitars, and drums and bass, all secondary. So all of that was production cues to make it stand out more. But basically, this is supposed to be a sonic interpretation of what I would do alone. People were like, wow, the band sounds great. I'm like, yeah. We were trying to make it sound like a solo record. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently that doesn't work out. (laughs) Thank you, Sean. Thank you. (laughs) It was a real pleasure meeting you. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you. (laughs) 